0: hello welcome back to the matt pfeiffer experience i'm your host matt pfeiffer and i am excited about today's show i have on a very special guest kenya kelly you guys know her from tiktok you guys know her from instagram she is a marketing guru she is an author And she's going to talk to us a little bit about the behind the scenes of her life. And I'm so thankful for her and for her vulnerability. And so as you guys are hopping in, make sure you guys greet her. Make sure you guys give her a warm welcome. And I also want to give you guys a warm welcome. And make sure you guys also give her the show, give the podcast a review. It doesn't matter what what platform you listen to it on. If you listen to it on Spotify, if you listen to it on Apple, uh, all the reviews help us. And it also helps to let me know. On things that you guys like, things that you guys enjoy, and so make sure that you guys are uh, make sure you guys do that if and when you get the chance. And I certainly appreciate that. Uh, And so, with all that being said, once again, thank you. It doesn't matter where you're streaming this from—if you're streaming this from from YouTube or Twitch or Facebook or LinkedIn. uh, So we are all over the platform. But make sure that you're also engaging this. Make sure you're hopping into the comments. Feel free to comment and talk to one another. But also, let's make sure that we keep it appropriate and also uh, make sure that we're, we're very sensitive to uh, what other people have going on. So thank you very much. And with all that being said, let's welcome Kenya Kelly. So Kenya, thank you very much for hopping in. We appreciate your time. We appreciate uh, all the things that you do in terms of your service with teaching people about marketing and with teaching people about branding. You know, I certainly have taken a lot from you. Uh, But tell us a little bit, I'm going to toss it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into it.
1: For sure. And so thanks so much for allowing me to be here. So you guys, I am Ken Kelly, hailing from San Diego, California. Uh, I have been in business pretty much my whole life. Um, now, I got into TikTok uh, at the beginning of 2020. We had a branding and consulting business at the time. We were doing well, focusing on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, but when the pandemic hit, I just started praying, for, like trying to figure out what I was going to do because I didn't know if we were going to go into a recession. And I just felt like I heard God tell me to get on TikTok, which I thought was the wildest, dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but I said, this could be the one. Let's jump in there. And so, jumped in on TikTok. Of course, didn't know what I was doing. All the buttons. I felt like I was 95 years old uh, on the platform, but I kept going. Six months, we were hit 100,000 followers, and now two years later, we're right around 500,000, and we've made close to a million dollars from TikTok.
2: Whoa, no yeah.
0: that's uh, that's absolutely crazy. So, <laughs> um, I you know, and I know that um, that you've been very one of the things that's very unique. If you if you're not following Kenya already, and it's uh, if you want to follow her it's Kenya Kelly um, Kenya Kelly on all of her platforms uh, Instagram and TikTok. One of the things that's unique about her channel, there's a lot of people who talk about marketing. There's a lot of people who talk about branding. There's not very many people who are very open about their personal life and how they actually got into it and how they transitioned from uh, a, a certain type of life to the life that they currently have. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about her. And that's actually one of the things I think that kind of Brought us together was uh, was that you went through a pretty rough pretty rough divorce.
1: Yep, sure mm-hmm.
0: did. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about that. How uh, when when did that happen?
1: Yeah, so I actually got married in I think it was October of twenty. 20- 13. So I dated my ex-husband for three years. The surprising thing to a lot of people was I was a virgin uh, when I met my ex-husband. And so that was kind of like the, woohoo, I found the one. Mm-hmm. Um, we dated for three years, got married. And within eight months into the marriage, I realized that he had been unfaithful. Uh, and not only had he been unfaithful in the marriage, but he had been unfaithful the entire time. Yeah. And so that was devastating.
0: Yeah, that I mean, I can't even imagine. Not only did you... Wait, right? But you know, you—it sounds like you did everything that you know everyone says that you're supposed to do.
1: Yes, absolutely. Right? That's what I thought I did. <laughs> you know, and you still can do everything right with the right person, and that it's great. But with the person that is not honest, then it's a nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about, about that. About the beforehand, I think that a lot of people as you are listening can relate that uh, that they experienced um, cheating and infidelity early on in the relationship, but mm-hmm. for you, um, what I think what, what's unique about this is that you guys were married and you guys were, cause you, you didn't find out until after you were married and where right. a lot of people, they find out like when, when they're dating and things of that nature. But, um, and I think that a lot of people have a fear of making the decision to actually get a divorce, mm-hmm. after finding that out and they decide to stay a little bit longer. What, mm-hmm. what was, uh, what was what was going through your mind and what was that thought process like for you?
1: Um, so when I found out that he was unfaithful, first, I, of course, I was devastated. And then because I'm Christian, it was like, oh, you fast, you pray, you know, you talk to him I figure what's going on. And initially he just would not admit he had done anything. Um, and then when I found the girl's number and called her and she admitted it and all this stuff. Um, I, I started just having like lots of different things like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm devastated. Is he going to like quote unquote repent? Is He going to ask for forgiveness? No, he was not. Um, and having to still go to work, you know, still having to do what you're doing because at the time I had a hair show for women with natural hair. And when I found out I had a show the next week. So I had to still perform because people had paid it. So it was, I still had to like keep going in the midst of my world, just basically collapsing. And one of the beautiful things I say I, I had in my tool belt, which a lot of people may not is when I was 20 years old, I started reading all these books i had read hundreds of personal development business books and all that stuff from when i was in network marketing so when everything went down with my ex i started hearing miles moreau john c maxwell i could hear them screaming in my head you know like you can do this you can get out of this you don't have to stay because in my mind i'm like i'm supposed to stay i'm supposed to pray that you know whatever but I also had the battle of "You're nuts. You're awesome. He's a douchebag. You don't have to stay through this, especially when he's not doing the right thing." So I was dealing with the, you know, the angel and the demon type of thing on your shoulders. Yeah. That's what was happening.
0: <laughs> and tell us, you know, uh, I'm going to dive back into that here mm-hmm. in a little bit, but that process, I really want to. Because I think that's where a lot of people get really get stuck. Is that now you know you you hear the devastating news,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, you're trying to either you're, you're you're have one foot out, one foot in, but all the while you still have to work, right? You mm-hmm. still have to you still have to do the show for people who are in sales and you and for people, um, you know, in your situation, you you don't uh, I don't think You, you do do you have children? No. Um, that, and and uh, people who. Um, you know, people who have children still have to get the kids to daycare, still have to get their kids to school, that sort of thing. Right. And uh, so how did you, or, or did you, where did you, were you able to stay focused during that time?
1: Um, I would say I didn't realize that I could put things in boxes, but I was somehow able to put things in boxes. So I, of course, I still had to deliver with my show so people could see something was wrong or whatever, but I was still just, moving forward. I had no choice. It was like that I had no, I could like get sued by all these different companies. So I had no choice. Now when the show was over with, it was like, I, I mean, I was barely functioning. I was getting up and I was going to work, but I was crying during the daytime. I was crying on lunch break, you know, crying on my way to work, crying on my way home. I was just crying all the time. And I let myself cry because I was hurting.
0: Was there any type of process that you went through? Like you know, uh, I know that you're a woman of faith. Did you, uh, did you pray? Did you meditate? Were there any mm-hmm. uh, practical tools that that you would recommend to people? Did you go for more walks? Um, what type mm-hmm. of like self care, if anything, did you do?
2: Or let yeah. me rephrase
0: really that: that you would do if if you, if you were talking to someone that were kind of going through that.
1: So when it all started going down, I. I I reached out to church Mm -hmm. and most people, it sounds kind of bad, but the church was like, you know, people don't want to touch it. They don't know what to do. So I wasn't really hearing back from anybody. Um, But I had found a lady who had gone through um, infidelity in her marriage. And so she was just kind of talking me through things and just like, just talking to me every day. Um, And then I had a couple of friends. I was like, just, just pray. I don't know what to do. But then she led me to this ministry, which is called Oral Roberts Ministries. And they have a 24-hour prayer line. Yeah. And I was like, I need somebody to talk to. I can't keep calling my friends because it's just too much for them. You know, like they have their own lives. And so I would call this prayer line like three times a day. I mean, it sounds crazy, but three I'm, times I'm, I'm, a day.
0: I'm very familiar with Oral Robert right
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like... I was on with them every day and they would just pray. I would get a different person and, and they would just pray. And so I, and then um my church, my other church I had gone to, they told me to start journaling and I had never journaled before. And when I started writing things down, it hurt even worse because it was like, I'm putting pen to paper. This means this is actually happening. Right. And so it took a while for me to actually start getting the words out, but, when I started getting the words, it was like as if it was coming out of my heart so that I could like I could function a little bit more. And the more I got it out, my thinking started to like clear of like, hey, this is happening. This is a bad situation. This is too early in your marriage. You need to go.
0: I don't think that people really understand how powerful journaling actually is. <laughs> you know, I, it's something that I tell people about, and uh, I actually made a TikTok about it and I, you know, kind of joking about it, that people are always skeptical skeptical at first. And then once you do start to see it written down on paper, I don't think people understand how important it is to actually process those emotions and to actually sit with them and to actually feel them. Um, and, and then when you're writing it down on paper, how you do start to feel that sense of relief. Did you ever look back at the paper? Did you ever look back at the things that you're writing as as you as you were doing that?
1: Um, I did a little bit. So once I actually left him and I started writing more, I think that I looked back at it a little bit. Maybe when I decided I was gonna stop praying for him and I was actually gonna divorce him. Um, I did I didn't keep going back to it, but I intentionally kept the journals, So I, I have them like in my cupboard, uh, because I said, if I have kids one day, I want them to see this is you know, if I, when I get remarried, if he wants to know what was I, what was it like, I'll live him, give him the freedom to do that. And I know one day I'll write a book about the healing journey. And I'm like, I want to be able to go, um, kind of back to that. So I haven't like, it's, I think it'd be kind of icky to kind of read that now, but I haven't yet.
0: You you might be surprised, but um, you know because you because a lot of times people look back and because uh, I remember I looked back at mine, um, you know, several years uh, later, and it's like it's such a relief to see how far you've actually come. Yeah, you know, to know and to remember how you felt in that moment when you were writing it. Uh, I remember I remember one time writing something like how how do I get the arguing in my own head? Right. That, even though I wasn't with the person anymore, I was still arguing with them in my own head wow. and I, and I couldn't get it to stop. And it was like, you know, you could hear shrieks and, shriek, you know, just the, you know how it is when people are high, are yelling at the top of their, at their, yeah. their lungs. And so I remember those voices were still like playing, recurring, you know, and I, and I would ask people like, how do you get that to stop? Right. I didn't realize at the time that it was uh, CPTSD, but, um, oh, wow. but, uh, but going back, right, looking back at that, that entry, you know, makes it, it, it uh, it's not like you're reliving it, but it you, it makes you really thankful and, and you appreciate how far you've actually come and all the steps that you've done between then yeah. and now. So uh, you might be surprised.
1: You know, the one thing that I did, I have read, like a lot of people don't realize that I did this, but there was like, when I, when I filed for divorce it's like he was fighting it, even though he wasn't even talking to me. Like we had a liaison and one day I had a dream and God was like, you're laying down in this situation. You need to rise up and fight. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, and he was basically like, you need to get him to sign the papers. And I'm like, how? And he said, write him a love letter. I was like, you're out of your mind. I'm not writing him no love letter. And so I just sat down and I wrote his name and I said, I forgive you. And then I just like the minister part of me just started to bless him. I just started encouraging him like only like a wife could in all these areas of his life, Um, his future family. I mean, just all this stuff. And I gave it to liaison. The next day he signed the papers. I was like, you know, and so I have gone back and reread that letter because it was like, I can't even believe I did that in the middle of that moment. Because I'm Mm -hmm. like, that is some stuff.
0: Tell us a little bit more about um, because I think that you know for a lot of people who are going through this, one of uh, I think that a lot of people struggle is people pleasing and codependency and not wanting to be the bad guy, not wanting to be the villain. And I know that people who uh, who have um, who come from a background of strong faith typically struggle with that too, right? Because the typical thing that you hear from your church and from people around you is you know, just stay through it, just try to work it out, Mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things. And, um, but a lot of times internally, you know, that that's not necessarily what you want to do, but Mm -hmm. you also don't want to be the villain. With all that being said, I'm sure that he was probably in your ear, trying to, trying to get you to stay and saying, saying different things to try to either convince you to stay or try to convince you that you were the problem. What was, what was that like for you?
1: You know, honestly, he wasn't saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when I found out he wasn't home, I called him and said, I know, I know about the woman. It took him forever to come home. But by the time like he had come home, he had writ- written a note mm-hmm. and put it in the door. And he mm-hmm. was basically saying to me. Um, I don't deserve you like breaking up with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were married. And so by the time he kind of came to the house, he'd never admitted anything. He would just wouldn't say anything. And so within 30 days when I left and was like trying to figure out what to do with my life. He was not trying anything. Only thing he was doing was like, give me my money back. Cause I took half the money. Cause it, you know, it just, whatever um, he wanted his cell phone back. Cause the phone was in his name, but he was not trying to do anything. And when I look back at that, I'm like, he was living a lie the entire time that had to weigh on him so much. And now he is, the lie is gone. I think that he was like, I want her, but I, I, I I got to get out. I, so mm-hmm. the best thing that could have happened to me was he didn't fight it.
0: Yeah. Well, now sometimes there's the flip side of that. That sometimes I, I've worked with people that that's also that also can be torturous too.
2: Oh yeah. It was. Because
0: uh, because people start to it gets people to start to question their worth. Um, not that it yep. has nothing to do with your work, but when you're in it, that's how you begin to feel. You start to question. You know, did this person ever love me? What was that? Yep. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah. I I I wanted him to fight for me and he mm-hmm. wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to call and want to meet. I wanted all those things. Um, but because I was, I started therapy immediately, uh, like two forms of therapy. I started journaling immediately and I was going, I went to a different church that wouldn't know anything was going on. It was like the me that w- I had been building up all these years with all these books and stuff. Was like I wanted him to fight, but the other part was like, but if he doesn't fight, this is going to be a little bit easier. But the the devastated, the bigger part of me was I want I want this fight. I want it. I want this from him. Um, and he, when he wasn't giving it, I was devastated. I mean, I was miserable for like months, weeks, and months. Just like, why doesn't he? You know, I don't think I wanted. Why doesn't he love me? It was more so like, how could he do this to me? I thought he was ABC. Like, I can't believe this, you know, Um, that's kind of how that was. And it just took a while for me to like, come out of, come out of it. Cause I didn't feel like, it was like a part of me was like, is it because I was inexperienced sexually? You know, but I was like, we were together, you know, anyway, yeah. I, I had all these thoughts. And then it was just like, wait a minute, you know what he told you before you ever met him, dated him. He was very sexually active. So Maybe this has nothing to do with him. But I think it really was I had all these books I had read that Mm -hmm. the hurt me could also hear the one that was like, hey, no, no, no. This is what's happening with this person. And so it was like it was balancing me out, even though I was a hot mess.
0: Yeah. And and what about your friends, your family, you know, people that were close to you? Uh, Obviously, it sounds like you had a lot of support from the church. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you feel a lot of pressure from them? What was that like?
1: So no, I, I, it sounds really sad, but I wasn't, I didn't really hear from anybody. Like when everything went down, I called my mom and told her, my grandma, I told my sisters and nobody really was saying anything. They weren't calling, they weren't texting, nothing, um, which was sad. (laughs) You know, my best friend, she was calling and texting. And when I couldn't believe that he had cheated, she was trying to help me like, Hey, like see the green light, see the lights, you know, this is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but she was just there. And no matter what was happening, if I needed to talk, she would just let me talk. Uh, If I needed to text, she would text. And then I had a couple other friends that I reached out to and said, if I text you, please just message me back. If I call you, it's really bad. Um, And when I would call people, they were just like drop everything and they were there. Um, But because of my faith, I just kept going, okay, this, if Jesus is real, cause I had this, like, I had this like come to Jesus moment with Jesus. And I was just like, if you are real, you got to show up because this is bad. I had nowhere to live. I had this and you got to show up. And I just, for me personally, I just felt this like swarming in of a person, like, like a father is supposed to be. And he just like swarmed in, in my life. Like I didn't like, I got a place to live. I got a new car. I got a six figure job. It was like all this stuff just like popped up in 30 days. I was like, <laughs> so I was getting this like supernatural support, but I had a couple of friends around me and the church that was just like, okay, we're just going to be there for you.
0: That's great. That's, that's amazing that you had that, that level of support with, uh, with, um, with him, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the early times, uh, with him. Did you, you know, one of the things when I'm working with people, I, I typically challenge people a, a bit. Um, not in a way, you know, not in a way to victim blame or victim shame or anything like that, mm-hmm. but in a way for people to begin to trust themselves again, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times there's something that either happens or something that's said, and something internally says, you know what, I think there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Right? I think this person has that capability or that they're doing something or something. Uh, there's a shift or there's a transition in their behavior where you're like, the hell is going on? Right. What the, what, you know, and you start to kind of, and that's where you kind of start to pick up on the clues. Um, what was, was that your experience that, was there anything that happened that you said, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I know we're about to get married or, but I think this person either has the ability to do this or, uh, is currently doing this already.
1: Um, so when we first met, I knew that he was divorced mm-hmm. and I had asked him, why'd you get divorced? He said, because I cheated. And I said, okay, why did you cheat? Mm-hmm. And he shared with me some type of thing that had happened with him and his wife. She was no longer having sex with him. And I mean, all this that he was saying, and, but he was also a person of faith in the church faithful. I mean, just kind of like me. And so I'm like, okay, so you're telling me you have not been unfaithful to anybody since yes. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just trusting and believing um, but I would say that one of the red flags was probably we had these times c- that he um, he, would say he was going to go play basketball or whatever. And I wasn't hearing from him for like forever. And I'm like, oh, maybe he just play ball for a long time uh, or times when we were going to plan to hang out for the weekend. And he's like, oh, I'm really tired from work. I'm just going to stay because he lived like 30 minutes to me. I'm going to stay home. OK, no problem. I know you work really hard. Uh, but I, it wasn't clicking. I think what clicked for me was when we had started marriage counseling and they had given us these like DVDs they wanted us to watch at home and he was wouldn't watch them. He was just like, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. And I was like, this is interesting. Um, but my friend told me that it was a red flag when it was time for him to go get his tux and he just kept delaying and delaying and delaying. And she was like, a man that's excited to get married is not doing that. And I just was like, He's just being lazy. I just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't clicking for me. Um, But it was just like these little bitty moments of like, I was super happy and he was just chill, but -hmm. he was always chill. So I was like, maybe he's just chill. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Um, And let's, let's move forward. Like, so you guys get the divorce and it sounds like your, your life was starting to move forward and you're, Mm -hmm. you're definitely a, a lot better off now than what you were before. But obviously, you know, um, me being a business owner as well, I know that we don't just, despite what people think, you don't just jump from one stage to to the next, right? So um, what was that transition like, you know, for you to transition and what was the beginning stages like to for you to actually become King Kelly, who we see in front of us today?
1: For sure. So before I ever met my ex, I had gotten into uh, network marketing in like 2002. And so I had been exposed to people making a hundred thousand dollars a month, a million dollars a month. I had read all the books and I had started a couple businesses here and there or what have you. But once I left him, of course, I had to get a job. Mm-hmm. And once you get a job as an entrepreneur, you still have that like, hey, you can't tell me what to do. I I, I want to have a business. Um. And somebody called me, recruited me back into network marketing. And I made six figures really fast because I knew how to do it. But I was in this, I was having lots of different things. One, the moment of like, I'll show you, I don't need you. You're not going to embarrass me. I'm going to go and be wildly successful. And so nobody, everybody will be like, wow, look at her. So I was determined to be successful. I had a billboard in the city and everything within months. And people were just like, wow, you know. Um, but I, the entrepreneur me just has always wanted to be very successful financially and have a lot of time freedom. And after getting a divorce, I decided to move to Houston. And I, while I was working my job, I worked for Sprint on the corporate side mm-hmm. and that network marketing company, uh, Periscope came out the live streaming tool. Right, yeah. yeah. And I kind of just started streaming on Periscope <laughs> to try to recruit people in my network marketing business. But everything that I knew about business and branding and stuff that I had read over all the years was now coming out on the live stream. And the people that didn't want to be recruited by me wanted to consult me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't have a consulting business. You can't consult me. And I invested my first $300 into a consulting call with somebody. And they said, you need to start a consulting business. And I was like, and so, but I was still dealing with, I didn't know it, depression from the Mm -hmm. divorce, shame, embarrassment. PTSD. I mean, all this stuff, I'm still dealing with all that, but I'm like, this is all possible. So I was just kind of like inching my way through, like, can I do this? Yeah. Is this the time for this? Cause my name is of Kelly Griffin and I'm like, nobody knows whatever. And I was just like, okay, so maybe I should just try it. Um, and this one girl kept calling me of Kelly, which is my middle name. And I said, well, let's go with the name of Kelly and get the domain and see what happens.
0: Yeah. And uh, so when were there any plaguing thoughts? I know typically when you transition, when you make that ch- type of transition, there's typically a lot of plaguing thoughts that because uh, because that's that's a lot of people's transition. They have to find a job, they have to start looking for a new place, and that sort of thing. You start thinking about either everything that the ex said or things that other people have said that you can't do it, you're not capable.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
0: especially, I think that's uh, especially true of a woman that uh, that you you know. Even if no one has said it, the, the perception for um, especially a lot, a lot of times, not all the time, but um, in, in the church is that you need a man to help support and provide and this mm-hmm. and that. And so was there anything like that that started going through your mind that maybe that you weren't capable and that you had to overcome? And if so, like what, what was that like? What did you tell yourself to overcome those thoughts?
1: Um, so I actually was never used to a man being supportive. Like my dad was not around. I mean, he's around now, but he just wasn't in our lives. Yeah. And so I was used to my mom kind of fending for us. And then as a kid, like we kind of had to parent ourselves in a sense too. So it was like, I had this independence, like I can do this, which is why I had that, like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong type. So I wasn't really dealing with that. Oh, I have to. I need a man to do this. Um, and <laughs> it sounds kind of mean, but. Most people online that know you but not say nothing to me. Like they just, I didn't even have to say it, but people weren't saying anything like you can't do because before I ever, like before I ever met my ex, I was already doing these big hair shows. I was already killing it. You know, then I just went through this down thing. And so the, or the audience that kind of knew me was like, they they, wish they probably would talk about how my back,
2: yeah.
1: but they knew that this ends in my face,
2: yeah.
1: mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but I would say I was dealing with like, is now the time, is now really the time for this? Can I really do this? Like before I did my first live stream, I was so afraid that my ex was going to show up on my live stream. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I was afraid that the women he cheated with, they were going to show up because I was like, oh, no, like anything could happen on live stream. And so I was dealing with that of like, I know I've got this and I can be amazing at this. But if I start, what if they show up?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just had the like, you know, you you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take, you know, that Michael Jordan quote. Mm-hmm. And just kept going, hey, either I'm going to be a fear of him and his foolishness or I'm going to go and make a million dollars. And I just kept going, I'm going to make a million dollars. And if he shows up. Maybe I have the beehive and they'll swarm in for me, you know, and he never showed up.
0: Uh, I was just about to ask you if he ever showed up. What about any of his friends or family?
1: No. So when I decided to leave him, I blocked him, all of his friends and everybody we met. Um, And with the intention of I wasn't mad with anybody, but it was just like, if I am going to heal, I need a clean break. I don't need them seeing things, saying things. And so I just kind of went away from them. I did run it, run into his mom mm-hmm. a couple of months later and she was everything but crying. Like, yeah. I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. And I'm like, it's fine. You know, cause she realizes, you know, her son, but yeah, I just, I got rid of everybody. I feel bad about them because some of them I really liked, but I was like, those are his friends, let them be with him. And
2: yeah. well, I mean,
0: I can tell you that you made the right decision, but it's easy for me to say, but it's hard to actually do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, especially because at, at some point in time, they were your family as well. But what was yeah. that? What was that like? Because, you know, I know that I keep coming back to this whole the whole people pleasing and and people don't like being the villain, especially but in people don't talk enough about uh, I, I call them the innocent bystanders, right? Yeah. The ones that are their siblings or their uh in some situations stepchildren or uh, other people who had nothing to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm. But you still have to make that very difficult decision to to as well. Uh, And to, and to, and to essentially end a relationship that doesn't really need to be ended, but it does all at the same time. What, what was, what was that like? What was that thought process like?
1: Um, (laughs) It's going to sound kind of mean, but I was like, it was easy. I just went block, 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 block. But that's also the part of me that has been in therapy over the years of being like, hey, it's actually kind of unhealthy to like not have conversations with people, you know? Um, so that part of me, it was, it was super easy. Yeah. Um, but I did feel, I, I felt like, ah, oh, if I block them, they're going to believe whatever he tells them, mm-hmm. you know? But then I said, but they know him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so no matter what he says, they know him. And the fruit will grow. They will see the right. fruit of who of, of him right. once we're gone and they will hear what is happening with Kenya. And so I just had to go, I will never be vindicated. Right. Well, I could be vindicated, but like, let me not go after vindication. Let's go after healing.
2: Right. You know? And,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. And through, and through the, your healing journey, you you will be vindicated, which yeah. is, yeah.
1: And that's kind it of was- what happened. Like i started blowing up and everybody's just like, yeah. You know, I even got,
0: gonna, it's like they're going to talk anyway. Right. Yeah. So you, you might as well give them something to talk about.
1: Yeah. That's like, um, I think it was two years ago. I got a Facebook DM from his ex-girlfriend, mm. not the one he cheated with. And she was just like, Hey, I sorry to bother you. I was in a relationship with your ex-husband for three years. And he said bad things about you. But God told me to go find you on YouTube because years after going through a divorce, I had, to, I had this show, it's called you, me and Jesus, where I talk about my relationship with Jesus. And she said, God told me to go on YouTube and find this video of you. And she said, I found it. It was two hours long. She said, I watched it. She said, I was in shock. You're nothing. What he said that you were. Cause I never, I never even said on YouTube that he cheated. And she was in shock of who I actually am. And I can't remember what she said, but I'm like, I'm also kind of like a prophet where I hear God and I tell people what God is saying. And so I said, God, give me something to say to her. And I just, whoosh, and I just blessed her with all this stuff God was saying. And cause I knew she was broken and she was breaking up with him. I knew she was broken. And so I gave her that thing. And her message was, Oh my God, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, you know, we just, you know, it's gone. But that was kind of like, that was my moment of like, Hey, Hey, He's still talking because he he can see through the grapevine, and now she can see too, and mm-hmm. she's probably gonna be like, "Yo, I just talked to your ex-wife."
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, and and uh, you you mentioned before that you talked to the person that. Uh, That he did cheat with, and what was that conversation like?
1: Yeah, so when when I woke up from the dream that he was cheating, and God told me to check my phone records, I said I saw the number, and I just called it. It was like three in the morning, and I just said, "Hey, do you know such and such?" She says, "Yes." Do you know that he's married? And she paused. No, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm his wife." And she was just, she just, she just sat there, and I and I said, and then I just hung up because it was like this is not a her issue. This is a him issue. Yeah. Um, and when he finally came home, he was like, I didn't cheat I, You know, I just went out to dinner with her and, um, she texts me. Of which is like,
0: are, some of the excuses I hear.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, yeah. I, yeah. Cause, cause uh, you know, it, it, it's, um, you know, I know that everyone considers certain things cheating, you know, but like dinner, like going out to dinner with somebody else isn't cheating. Like that's going to be a viable excuse.
1: Right. Like, you know, but
0: I mean, I've heard, I've heard just about anything. It didn't mean anything, you know, uh, some of my when I say favorites, I mean some of the worst. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I had sex with her, but it didn't mean anything, uh, so it doesn't count as cheating. Or well, right. some of my some of my most favorites are when uh, they get upset for somebody else cheating when they're really actually dating on a break or they've actually broken up and they consider that cheating because and it's uh, it, it gets all the all the stories get very very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you, so you said that he came back to you and said that it was just dinner.
1: Yeah. I said, he just with a dinner or something. And, and, and I told her, he said, and she said, did he say we had sex? I said, did y'all? She said, well, ask him. And I knew the answer to that, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but.
0: Was she trying to protect him in that moment?
1: No, I think she was kind of sh- surprised that he was lying.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, and I think what was happening was he was texting her one thing while her and I were talking yeah. um, because later when I looked back at the phone records, I said, okay, what, let, let's see what's transpired here. And once her and I hung up, she called him yeah. immediately. And I said, okay, he's not home, which means he's not with her. He with somebody else. Yeah, Cause it was, you know, too late at night or whatever. And I was like, what in the world? Um, so she calls him and they have this long conversation. So I think that he went into, she's crazy. We're separated type of, you know, that whole yeah. ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she never popped off and I never popped off on her his mama popped off on her <laughs> but you know yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: one of the things that happens a lot in situations like this is uh, you have a person who um, doesn't tell you the entire story right obviously they're trying to cover up a lie but there's a lot of reasons why uh, there's a lot of motivation for them not to not to tell you the entire truth mm-hmm. you have a lot of questions you're trying to piece everything together for healing you know but they don't provide it Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and you, and one of the things that you mentioned is that you're looking for, for healing, which a lot of times closure is part of that healing. Um, did you experience that or was he very forthcoming or what, what was that process like? And how did you find that closure that you, that you needed through that process?
1: So he never admitted that he cheated. Um, I just ended up leaving and he just was not receptive, not trying to do anything. Um, And so once I finally filed, I was going through like the, all the processes I realized, oh, and I was in therapy too. She said, my therapist was like, you have to realize that he may never apologize or whatever. Um, That same day, he sends me like a short email, like, Hey, I'm sorry how I treated you when we were talking. Like he never admitted he cheated. I'm sorry I had treated you when you're talking. And I can't remember what he said. And I said, Hey, listen, if you want to talk to me, we're married you are welcome to tell me what your availability is and you and I can meet face-to-face and have a conversation face-to-face because Mm -hmm. I deserve that. And I've never heard from him since. Wow. And so I used to just write in my journal, God help me to forgive even if he never apologizes. And I would Mm -hmm. write that like it was lines every day and I would say it every day. Um, And I just kept saying that. And then like over time, over the years, it's just been like one thing after the other, just been able to just heal like little moments, you know? So I never got official closure. I would say, well, I can't say that. Um, It's kind of crazy, but years later, you know, I'm very, very spiritual. And God, like he invites me to do things that doesn't make any sense to the average person. and about four years ago, he asked me to write him a letter asking for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't cheat on him. Why do I need forgiveness? He goes, well, you know, because we believe that if you sin against someone and you don't ask for forgiveness, you know, it's, you know, whatever. And I said, okay, what do I have to ask for forgiveness for? He said, you did not cheat on him. That is not the, the why you're writing this, but you were mean to him. You did curse at him. You did do all these things in the relationship. There's, there was parts of you that just need to ask for forgiveness. And I said, oh, well, that sucks, but okay. So I write him this letter and I like write out all the things that I've ever said or done to him. And I was like, I'm sorry I did this. And I'm sorry I did this. And I was like, this letter is not for reconciliation. It's not so we can talk. I don't want you to reach out or anything. This is for me to own up to areas where I have offended you. I have hurt you and whatever. So I put it in an envelope, two envelopes, sent it to a friend, and that friend got it to him. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks later, I had a dream (laughs) about him Mm -hmm. and we were in a church. He sat down beside me. We were cordial and I could feel his like humility. And then he stands up and he walks off and he's in this really, really, really big suit. And it's like swallowing him. And it's as if he's like this five little five year old little boy walking off. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like it was a moment of uh, what I felt like God was saying. No one has ever apologized to him for hurts. Mm -hmm. And now here's this little boy going on this healing journey. Mm-hmm. And God was like, so now you're able to heal even more because you were able to own up to your own stuff. And I was like,
2: ah! <laughs> so, yeah. One of the one of the
0: things, uh, you know, what you, one of the things that you just described was a, a process of also uh, self-forgiveness, too. Yeah. Right? And um, and that is a large part of, you know, and that's a part that people don't like talking about, especially on TikTok. Everyone wants to call everyone a narcissist. and everyone, And I know I talk about narcissism. Um, but, uh, but one of the things that, especially in my lives, I tell people that we have to learn, uh, how to, how to piece everything together, right. How, um, you know, we can't just sit there and point, point. I don't allow, allow for people I work with to point fingers, uh, at the narcissist. I, I say, you know, we have to understand the not, we're, there's no excuse, like in your situation for the cheating. There's no excuse if you're in an abusive relationship, there's no excuse for that behavior. But we have to understand how we got there, right? We have to yeah. put pieces back together. And it sounds like you were able to do that, and that was a part of that moment for you mm-hmm. to uh, to write that letter. And for those of you who are considering a letter, uh, you can always write a letter and not send it. Uh, Correct. That's uh, that's something that was that very helpful for some people.
1: Yeah, I, I knew for- it was going to be helpful for his heart. Like I, you know, I remember when I first when I finally left him, I called a couple of his spiritual friends that had no idea. And I said, Hey, this is what's happening. I have left him months ago. I'm no longer praying for him. He needs somebody praying for him. Please pray for him. Don't reach out unless God tells you to. And that was like my, another like release of like, Hey, I loved him at one point. I don't hate him. So he needs help from people. And I was like, okay, here, you know,
0: when did you get to a point where you said to yourself, like, and maybe you haven't gotten to that point, but that you feel like you've arrived or like you've made it and you were, uh, maybe had a sense of pride where you said to yourself, like, I've really, I've really beat this thing.
1: Um, what would I say? I would say, Oh, you know, when, cause you know, Facebook will show you memories of like yeah. years past. And I used to always delete the memories if I saw anything about him or pictures or whatever. And one day I went into memories and a picture about popped up. My faith, my, my stomach didn't sink. I didn't feel anger. And I said, huh. So I, I clicked on the picture and I took the, and I downloaded it and put it on my phone. And I said, huh, I don't really feel anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I like, I think that oh, our wedding song, uh, I can't remember what the song was. Um, Adore Let my love adorn you. Yeah. Right. I didn't listen to that for years. So I said, let me go and see, listen to that song. And I was like, how do I feel? And I was like, huh. And then I said, what was that meal I used to make? that like, I love that meal I haven't made in years. And I made that meal and was like, oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. But it was like the picture was like the thing. And then, you know, just a little trickle. And now I have a couple of fo- photos of us in my phone. And it's for me to just be like, hey, everything's okay. Yeah, You know, like, yeah.
2: I
0: always say that people ask me, how do you know when you're over it? And I say, they're just another person to you. Yeah. Just another person. Like you see pictures and it's like, it's almost like, you know, that's someone that you used to know, but it's not, uh, it's uh, you know, yeah, you remember being with them, but in terms of that, that pit, and then in terms of, you know, your emotional center and things of that nature, you don't feel anything. It's just another person the same way that you would see a person you see, just a random person in the grocery store. You don't have this emotional tie,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: They're just another person.
2: Yeah, like, exactly.
0: you knew them back in the day when you're in kindergarten or whatever. You may remember the memories, but that's that's really about it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and and what about now? What what are you? What are some things that you like to do now? That uh, I'm assuming that there's a continue a, a maintenance phase of your healing. Uh, what does that maintenance phase look like?
1: Um, so I did a lot of therapy for many years. I've done, um, like I believe in deliverance, (laughs) like you have things you got to deal with. I did a lot of that. Um, and then I started listening to a book from Oprah called what happened to you, Mm -hmm. um, by her and the guy's name. And as I was listening to that book, I was, it was taking me back to all these like traumatic memories of just my life, like being whooped as a kid, you know, being neglected and all that type of stuff. And I started realizing, oh, I've got some traumas that are in my life. And some of these things with my dad um, that led to me marrying my ex-husband, like, you know, anger against men. And I started doing EMDR therapy. I actually started it last year and we started going through the process of trust and all that. Um, and when I started in that process, I got on dating apps Mm -hmm. and I got triggered by a very strong black man. Mm -hmm. And it was just by him being strong and being black and being, he wanted to talk to me, I mean, completely triggered. And I said, Oh, something's happening there. Let's go to therapy with this. And I've just kind of been just like continuously just allowing myself to like go through these just journeys of like, Hey, let's go childhood and let's bring it all to present day. And let's walk through that kind of healing journey. It's like, even now, like I'm not officially dating or anything like that, but I'm like out meeting men in general. And I'm like, okay, so what, what am I feeling? Like, am I feeling scared? Am I feeling whatever? And if I have these moments, I'm like, all right, we got to go home and process this. So you don't ruin something or whatever,
0: you know? What is the dating scene like now? Now, you know, after that experience?
1: Um, well, dating in general is already just weird in mm. general. You know, it's like, um, but we still got COVID season, you got the apps and all that. So I'm not really meeting, and I'm a different kind of woman now too. Mm. Like I'm very like financially successful. I know who I am. I'm self-aware. I do therapy. So I encounter a lot of men that encounter me, they're like, You're amazing, but mm. they all know, hey. I'm not the average. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't say that to them, but I can tell, but they're just like, they do this like, (gasps) freeze. Like if Mm -hmm. I go to her, I got to be ready type or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I find myself with a lot of men, just like, like they're looking in the window and they're like, you see us, I'm not ready to open the door yet to you. And I'm like,
2: okay. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You know? So it's just like, uh,
0: I tell people that all the time, people who are ready to get back into the dating scene. I tell them the, more healed you get, you start to realize that your boundaries and just the way you carry yourself, your self-esteem, all of a sudden become a filter. And all of a sudden you don't have to worry about a lot of the things that you, you, you normally do. Like they want no people don't get what I'm saying. When I'm saying that once you start to develop boundaries, once you start to become self-aware, narcissists, people who are toxic, people are unhealthy, unhealed trauma. They want no part of it whatsoever. Oh yeah. People who, you know, and and I'm not saying you know because I, I, you know through this process you haven't you haven't presented as someone who thinks you're perfect or anything like that. You know, you're not have to be perfect. You know, but just being self aware, right, and, and understanding. And because one of the things about being self aware is that it doesn't allow for uh, your insecurities to overwhelm you. And that's yeah. a large part of it. Your unhealed trauma it doesn't you. You're aware of it, so it doesn't overwhelm you. You just know where your shortcomings are. And you just don't. You just don't allow for them to uh, have a negative impact on your life.
1: Yeah, that's the truth. That's like, I, I had. A, I have one of my therapists, I have a couple of them, and I was just like, what is wrong with people? And she goes, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm encountering all this stuff with people. Everybody just wants to dump on me. Everybody wants something and yada, yada, yada. And she goes, well, you're only noticing it now because you're you're healed a little bit more. And now you have boundaries in place and you're realizing how many people don't have boundaries yep. and because they don't have boundaries, they encounter yours and they're like, they, they're just whatever by it. It's like, but that's not, has nothing to do with you. You're like, that's a them thing. Yep. And so like with the men you were saying, it's like, Oh, I'm going, okay. Most men are going, Oh, she's not an easy girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't r- run over her. Like she's a Jesus type of girl. So, you know, she's going to be praying, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, Oh, it sucks because you're like, well, it sucks in a sense because you're like, I want to date. I want to meet somebody. But you're like, no, you're no longer with low hanging fruit. You're with yeah. high value yeah. people and high value people are going to evaluate you before they ever even approach you. And yeah. I'm like, all right, well, keep looking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's, it's well worth the journey. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I can, that part, I can certainly relate because it happens on, it happens with the guys too. Yeah. Uh, the men who I work with uh, and uh, we start working on dating. Uh, it happens in, uh in i tell you what, women say that they want a, a man who is emotionally intelligent and can set boundaries and uh, those sorts of things until they actually run into one. And it's exactly what you just described where, you know, they're, you know, like on the outside and they know that they're they know that there's a lot of, of things and a lot of aspects of themselves that they're not ready to work on. And that's really what it what it, what it comes down to. You know, a lot of times p- people who struggle with low self-esteem they're looking for, they're naturally attracted to people who uh, haven't worked on themselves mm-hmm. uh, and have low self-esteem and codependent issues and unhealed trauma and things of that nature. Because what happens is that they know that they don't have to work on themselves. They know yeah. that they don't have to be right. Right. And so you just, you're just naturally gravitating this reason why people say so often that life attracts like.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say something. I forgot I was going to say, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. What is that? Uh, what has EMDR been like for you?
1: Um, It has been, life-changing it's been hard so one of the things when i was listening to oprah's book what happened to you um it hit me that oh i have food trauma and i was like why do i have food trauma because uh, i found myself like i lost a lot of weight i used to be very very fit and then i got hurt i hurt my knee running one time and then food became comfort after the divorce which was never my thing and i just gained all this weight and so i was trying to like you know trying to get out of that. And then like for a short period of time, I was struggling financially when I left. So it was like, you just, you don't know if you're going to have money again. And as a kid, we dealt with that. So when I was had money and all that, I was like, why do I'm dealing with food? I'm like, I feel like I got to eat everything or like, what is, what is happening? And so I started EMDR and we started like just going through, like, when was the first time I felt like I didn't have enough food to eat? And we just started doing that for like, I think it was like uh, maybe it was two months, and then all of a sudden one day it just broke. My thinking about buying organic and then going to the gym—it just, it just broke. And I was like, "Oh, this is great." Yeah. And so I decided, "All right, so now let's deal with trust." You know, because I'm like, I dealt with broken trust as an early kid, and then the you know, mom, dad, then the ex-husband, and I'm like, "Okay, so let's deal with that." That has been like. Hiroshima it's like the biggest oh my god awful because you're like each session you're like because one of the memories was like what is the hardest memory about finding out he cheated and it was like standing in the hallway crying and he's just like not even looking at me he won't talk and I'm crying for like an hour and a half and he doesn't say anything he's not apologizing feeling helpless and all that and her just like walking me through like helping me heal from that like introducing myself to myself in that moment to give myself the comfort that I needed. Like I, I saw myself in that moment, like um collapsing on the floor and the, and I comforted myself. And so like when that time, like that session was over with, I was like, did I really just comfort myself in the moment that I didn't get? Is that really real? And the next day when I was journaling, whew, I broke down. It was like, Oh my God, I needed that. Like there was nobody there that comforted me. Now I've just got this comfort and I never knew that that was possible to kind of get that. Yeah. And I'm just watching me heal in like these amazing ways.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, Kenya, it has been absolutely amazing. And you can tell by the the chat that people have really gravitated towards this and really have taken a lot from you. Uh, you provide a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. So we appreciate you and let us know again where people can find you at and Tell us about Everyone's looking at your book behind you. What? What? Tell us about your book as well.
1: Yeah, guys. So my book,
2: uh, it
1: is called uh, "Before You Quit Your Job: A Strategic Guide for Entrepreneurs." It's teaching you how to strategically plan before you uh, quit your job. But I, I teach uh, female coaches how to use TikTok to market their businesses. But so all the things.
0: Yeah. So I. I uh, so back in the day, so people who know my story. Um, I, I was not strategic about quitting my job. But, <laughs> you know, that was just that was my journey. So everyone's on their own journey, but I'm thankful for, for sure as well. So, uh, Kenya, thank you very much, and we will have to do this again.
1: Yay! Thanks, guys.